Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, another Liberal MP questions his party's handling of the pandemic. We need to make sure that we get this job done. We need to ensure that we are listening uh, to medical uh, experts and not play politics. Anti-vaccine mandate protests across the country threatened to disrupt cross-border trade. We're uh, continuing to work with our provincial counterparts and with the city of Windsor. Uh, we need to stop the, the blockage of supply chains. Jobs are being affected. I'm calling on the Conservatives to ask for an end to the blockades along with the rest of us. And the federal government pledges to work with the provinces that are facing those protests. We are working very closely with our municipal partners to ensure that the Ottawa Police Service has the resources that they need to enforce the law to, to restore public order and to bring this unlawful protest to an end. It's Thursday, February the 10th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by National Post columnist John Iveson. Good morning, John. Morning, Mark. So let's let's start with what's going on right now. And, and we're seeing, of course, uh, these demonstrations and blockades, not just in downtown Ottawa, but at the uh, bridge between Windsor and Detroit. Uh, and uh, there are, there's talk of perhaps other demonstrations happening this weekend. Uh, we have as well a, another Liberal MP who is saying his, his government has taken the wrong approach on vaccine mandates. Uh, so there are a couple of small cracks in in the Liberal Party ranks on this. Um, so where do you think we stand on on this issue? There are a lot of Canadians who want to see these these protests taken down, but a lot of of uh, police uh, officials are saying it's easier said than done. Right. Well, where we are is nowhere good. Hmm. Um, I do think that the um, that the blockading of the Ambassador Bridge is is a bridge too far. I don't mean to be glib, but, but it really is. You know, you could see the truckers staying almost indefinitely in downtown Ottawa. You know, the, the, the police there are ticketing. They are making arrests. There have been 22 arrests, I think. 79 ongoing investigations. So things are, are happening. And, and, you know, I've been away, so I haven't been on the ground in Ottawa to see what's going on. But it's clearly, you know, there is uh, an air of menace to it. And it could continue on. Pretty much indefinitely, I think. But what and, and politicians can come out and with with impunity say, well, there are good people on all sides, and you know these are people who are trying to defend their livelihoods, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They cannot do that with the Ambassador Bridge. You know there are four four hundred million dollars of goods flowing this way and that way. I might get that figure wrong. It might be four hundred billion. I mean, it's a massive number of uh, goods flowing every day, and the Ford plant in Windsor is idling. Uh, people are losing their livelihoods. This is, uh, in many ways, similar to the blockade of the railways that, that happened uh, just before COVID hit uh, with Indigenous protesters. And nobody, particularly the Conservative Party, had any tolerance for that. The point where they, they proposed bringing a law in to, to uh, make it illegal to blockade. And I think that's where, 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 my, where I sit. I mean, you have a right to protest. You do not have a right to blockade. And if you're blockading the main artery between Canada and the U.S., then that is too much. And I think that the, the, the authorities cannot afford to let that uh, protest exist in a way that they probably can afford to let the one in Ottawa continue. Right. Now, I guess the, the question becomes, though, what, what do the authorities do and how do they stop this from continuing in a way that doesn't inflame the situation? Uh, there are... 
protest organizers who have said for every truck you remove, we're going to bring three more back. Um, so uh, it's it's a it's a delicate situation. Uh, the uh, and I know the the federal government has been having conversations with provincial governments and local authorities, uh, and we see statements coming out. Doug Ford uh, sent out a tweet saying he spoke with the prime minister and and they're committed to resolving this. But we're not hearing a lot about how that's going to happen. Right. I mean, I think that the federal government has got to have a consistent policy of saying, here's what we're going to do, and we're going to work towards that goal. I haven't heard that. I mean, it, it seems to me it's almost in the Prime Minister's interest to have this continue to exist. He, he created, in many ways, these these divisions, political ends, at the start of the, on day one of the campaign when he talked about uh, uh, mandatory uh, vaccination and passports. I mean, this is... You reap what you sow. When Trudeau said at the end of the election, uh, people talk about divisions, but I don't see them. Well, he was being willfully blind because almost everybody else could see that divisions were being created, and this is the end result of that. And I think the federal government is not doesn't seem to be particularly interested in ending this. But I do, I do think that uh, you know, so I've been away, I've been in the UK. Things are much more relaxed there, largely because the uh, the Omicron wave has passed. And, you know, you don't get asked for a vaccine passport walking into restaurants. Um, people can be seen without masks. This situation that we're in is going to end in a matter of weeks. And I think that the, the federal government is going to be in a difficult spot because it's going to have to recognise that by relaxing vaccine mandates. And in fact, in the UK, where they had taken a really hard line on any National Health Service staff who were not vaccinated, they were going to have to fire 50,000 of them. They did a U-turn, quietly did a U-turn, yeah. And that that policy just went away. And I think that the federal government has put itself in a position where it's going to be very hard for it to do the same thing. Yeah, and, and you've touched on many of these themes in, in a column that you've written in the National Post. And, and I want to explore that a little bit further because um, it it's it, the behavior of politicians has contributed to the polarizing dynamic that exists with the pandemic and with mandatory vaccines. If I think... Uh, in a different universe, you could have introduced uh, public health measures in a way that was strict, but also demonstrated compassion for the people who didn't agree with them and understanding of perhaps why some people didn't agree with them, even if even if you disagreed with their point of view. But instead, it became a political wedge and it started to serve uh, the, the prime ministers and the liberal party's agenda. And therefore, they didn't they didn't want to back away from that, right? Right, right. I mean, I, I, I said that we're experiencing a, a symmetrical polarization. Um, you know, that on the trucker front, truckers crossed the border with impunity for, for t- two years, keeping our supermarkets uh, stocked. Yeah. There, were no, there was no requirement until suddenly there was. And it doesn't, I haven't heard a really adequate explanation as to why that would suddenly become such an issue. And it does strike me that while uh, the Liberal Party became ever more illiberal and seeking out the progressive vote, the Conservative Party has rejected moderation at the same time. It's sacked a, a, a more moderate leader in search of a more populist leader. And Pierre Poilievre seems to be the, the uh, leader-elect. Uh, he's talking about you know, broadsides against people in power and the elite, the kind of language that we were well used to hearing in the U.S. And we've got this divergence and people are having to choose one camp or the other you know he's basically probably ever basically saying give me power and i will solve this problem including inflation which 
uh, remains to be seen to me how a, even a prime minister can solve inflation, which is a global phenomenon. It is a very distressing political landscape as far as I can see, and there's no room for nuance. And people like Michael Chong, the, the Conservative MP, who stood up and gave a really masterful speech in the House of Commons, um, which was full of nuance and full of common sense and full of pragmatism. These are co- ingredients and uh, qualities which we do not seem to value in politics anymore. You know, and what he said was, people have a right to protest, but they do not have a right to blockade streets and highways, border crossings, rail lines or pipelines, because you are harming other people and interfering with their freedom. And, you know, he, he talked about a, a nation rent asunder, divided into, you know, rural, urban, vaccinated, unvaccinated. And uh, he said he grieves our nation. And I completely sympathize with that. It's a dismal a political landscape, as I remember, and all the time I've covered federal politics. Wow. And I, I guess what's concer- even more concerning is that because there are political rewards for for this polarizing dynamic, because it, it, it actually, the situation right now benefits the liberals and it benefits the conservatives, each with their own base of supporters, uh, it, it doesn't seem like there's an obvious way out of this, right? No, I don't, I don't see it. I mean, I think that uh, people are going to rally around Poiliev or whoever becomes conservative leader and is clearly not going to be from the moderate wing of the party. And at the same time, you know, that's allowing Trudeau to turn, or Trudeau or whoever, maybe Freeland, to turn around and say, look, the barbarians are at the gate. We need progressive voters to rally around our flag. And, you know, the the mushy middle is people are just shaking their heads and looking around and going, what happened to the to the Canada that I used to know, the Canada that, that uh, you know, the political system that rejected ideology in favor of compromise and prudence? You know, we're, we're getting... The politicians we deserve as people become more dogmatic. Yeah. All right. It's very concerning, John. I appreciate you uh, bringing all of these issues to light. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Mark. That's John Iveson of the National Post. This is a law and order party, uh, and uh, we shouldn't be supporting something that's uh, unlawful. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. At iPolitics, Randy Boswell argues the Freedom Convoy raises questions for all of us about law and order. Boswell writes, The drama unfolding in the heart of Canada's capital raises a host of difficult questions about the right to protest in a democratic country and what the limits should be on demonstrations, marches, occupations, blockades, and acts of civil disobedience aimed at influencing public policy and driving social change. This moment challenges activists and politicians across the political spectrum. The issues to be confronted aren't exclusively the concerns of right-wing or left-wing partisans and sympathizers. In the Toronto Star, John Lawrence argues the Canadian flag as a national symbol has been damaged. Lawrence writes, After two weeks of watching the flag draped over the snouts of big rigs and flying off hockey sticks lashed to the backs of pickups festooned with obnoxious slogans, I'd say that its power as a national symbol is, if not completely shot, then critically injured. Canada's flag has been weaponized and transformed into a hyper-partisan prop, both here and abroad. Whether that matters or not is hard to say. But there's no doubt in my mind that the symbolic damage has been done and won't be undone anytime soon. 
In an editorial, the Toronto Sun argues, trust in Canadian institutions is declining. The Sun writes, Only 22% of Canadians say they trust governments or politicians, compared with 40% in the early days of the pandemic in May 2020. This is an incredibly low number, and that is a massive drop in such a short period of time. And it seems fair to say that this drop in trust is a nonpartisan phenomenon. Our leaders need to do some soul-searching when faced with such information. It's not enough to demand the people get on board. Our officials need to think about how they've squandered trust, and what they will do to win it back. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister and the Deputy Prime Minister will both attend question period. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will hold a news conference in Ottawa. And Indigenous Services Minister Patty Haidu will take part in a news conference to provide an update on COVID-19 in Indigenous communities. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Thursday, February the 10th. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.